Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 188 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin on Twitter, joined by my co-host tonight. He is at Say Which Way. Adnan, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing well. Uh, post-draft, uh, the weather is getting nicer and nicer outside, so... You know, it's a, it's a bit it's a bit warm down in Atlanta now. It's it's gotten into the 80s, but you know we got to get through it once more. <laughs> uh, it's feeling like uh, training camp weather, even though that's that's a few months away. Yeah, yeah, we're we're mercifully we're far away from that, uh, but it's going to be really hot very soon there in Georgia. I know. Also joining us tonight, we have two of my favorite draft experts. First of all, we have joining us Tyler Fornis. He's at the Real Forno on Twitter. He's at NBC Sports Edge, as well as the Daily Norseman and elsewhere. Tyler, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing good. Uh, just I'm re-watching Andrew Booth Jr. for a piece I'm writing for the Vikings Wire, and I am getting insanely hyped over the selection, and I'm excited to talk about more draft prospects. Yeah, yeah, and speaking of you know other folks here in the call, we have Thor Nystrom, who is joining us from what I can only assume is the kitchen, but... <laughs> you everything you okay there yeah. from the kitchen and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to be with you guys good to see you again you know after after we hung out a, a whole bunch at the senior bowl so happy to be here and and excited to talk about the the Falcons draft picks all right yeah it sounded so i heard some crashing so i wanted to make sure you were okay if we in case we needed to call someone so <laughs> you'll just have to see i mean like yeah usually in the kitchen it's a precarious proposition but uh yeah i'm I'm here with you until uh, I, I get burned on fire by my own devices. Okay. Okay. Well, just, you know, just give us a signal if you need help. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of, you know, needing help, the Falcons really needed help. How about that segue, guys? Uh, <laughs> in the draft, and by all opinions, they got it. Obviously, some picks were more liked by the fan base than others. Uh, the first one was one that it was a little bit. Uh, contentious only in terms of the position drafted, which was wide receiver Drake London. I know a lot of fans really like the player, but there were sort of questions about whether it was a good idea to take another pass catcher with a premium pick. But uh, London's a great player. I really like him. I'm interested to hear your guys' take on that. Uh, Thor, why don't, I'll let you get the first crack at Drake London. What do you think about that selection for the Falcons? I don't, I don't know how you can argue against it based on what happened right after it. Even if right. you're going to argue with who's going to be wide receiver one or not, the Eagle, or the I'm sorry, the Falcons. They read the room right. They they kicked off that epic wide receiver run that turned out to be a record-setting wide receiver run. Six of the first 18 picks were receivers. The Falcons got to to lead that off with a guy that most people had as the wide receiver one on their board. You know, I mean, they even said that after the draft. 
Um, he was certainly wide receiver one on my board. So I, I'm not going to argue with that pick at all. And I, I think they made a, a correct decision, both in terms of the prospect they took and also leading that wide receiver off runoff where they did. Yeah, it definitely looks better in hindsight. Um, you know, I was someone who really loved Kyle Hamilton. He was one of the top players on my board. So I was a little bit salty. We didn't get Kyle Hamilton, but I love Drake London, nothing against Drake London. And I, I agree with you. The pick looks a lot better when you consider that it sparked off a mad scramble immediately after the pick. Um, yeah, Tyler also interested in your thoughts on the Drake London pick for the Falcons in a vacuum. It's great. They prioritized a premium position in the top 10. They got who they believed was the best wide receiver in the draft. And uh, when you look at consensus, Drake London was among the best receivers in the draft, which it's really hard to complain about the selection. I'm a little concerned about how seamless the fit will be with what Arthur Smith likes to do with his passing concepts. I think that they could have found a better fit with uh, any of Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson. So from that perspective, I'm a little more down than uh, other analysts might be. But I also like the element of, hey, we're just going to play jump ball football and get two of the best contested catch players now in the National Football League. You have Drake London and Kyle Pitts. You're going to have to have big boys manning those guys, and they're going to a lot of those big boys at corner aren't going to be as fluid a mover. So you're going to be able to utilize quickness and footwork to really gain separation that way. I think it's going to work, but there were other players. Cause I had him as my wide receiver four, and, but they were all in such a tight group where in my perspective, like it's not that big of a deal. Like I'm right. not going to bury a pick because you picked my number four instead of my number one, they were all in a cluster. So yeah, same tier. I, yeah. Yeah. Very, very much the same tier. Um, I would have prioritized, a different style, but I'm very intrigued to see how Arthur Smith makes it work. Cause he's obvious. He obviously has a vision and with two guys that size, it's going to be very difficult for teams to match up. Yeah. And they signed Auden Tate in free agency as well. Who's another six, five receiver. Obviously he's, his problem has been that he can't stay healthy. So, you know, they could get a lot of size out there if they want. Uh, we know that uh, London has a lot of experience as a big slot. Uh, that's where he spent his first two years in college. Auden Tate's played on the outside in the slot. We've seen, Kyle Pitts play outside, play lined up as a tight end, and also in the slot too. So they have a lot of size out there. Um, they they specifically mentioned Drake London's physicality as a blocker, which you know maybe that's not the the primary thing you should grade a receiver on when you're taking him in the top ten. But uh, I know that they will be asking him to block a fair amount, uh, particularly with this new offense that we're going to see. That's probably going to look a little bit more similar to Tennessee's offense this year, more run focused, um, and with the offensive line presumably still bad <laughs> they're gonna need help blocking from just about anyone they can um yeah odd not anything else you wanted to add on the drake london pick i know we got your your thoughts on the live show but uh, anything else um yeah no at first i wasn't a fan of going with wide receiver in general just the general philosophy of it especially given the fact that the player that i thought was the best player in the draft kyle hamilton was on the board and what a hell of a pick by the ravens uh for them to get Kyle Hamilton at pick what 13, 14 was it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like uh, like these guys mentioned it, you can't really argue against it given what happened right after, not only in terms of the huge run on wide receivers, but also on day two, which I thought the Falcons had a phenom- phenomenal day two, uh, addressing their pass rush need, which has been a need for over a decade by double dipping as at pass rush, which is something that, we've been calling for on, on the draft show for years. Um, you know, they, they got their, they even got their quarterback in the third round. Uh, they, they addressed some more offensive positions later on, uh, on day three. 
So just having the benefit of hindsight, I, I like the pick a lot more than I did right after it was made. And not, again, not that it was a bad pick. Uh, like I said at the time of the selection in a vacuum, Drake London will definitely make this team a better team. I think he, he's the best wide receiver in the draft. Um, I, I thought, and it, it definitely makes sense, uh, given the fact that Arthur Smith really likes having those big physical wide receivers. He likes playing that hard play action style of, of, of ball where, where you where you just throw it up there for, for your wide receivers. He didn't really have that personnel in Atlanta this past year. And you can tell that he's really emphasizing that and building upon that uh, with the Kyle Pitts selection last year and now with, with the Drake London selection and signing guys like Auden Tate as well, who's also 6'5". Yeah, yeah. The size and the physicality, it's going to be very different this year. We'll hope that that translates into offensive success and not just a, as uh, Brian Freeman in the chat says, they, will be, they won't just look good getting off the bus, hopefully. They'll actually be a good, effective football team as well. Moving on, because we got a lot of picks to get to. Next up in the draft was a trade-up, small trade-up involving a fourth-round pick for edge rusher Arnold Ebikady from Penn State. One of my favorite picks in the draft. I just, I love Debbie Katie. Um, so I'm interested to see what you guys think about it as well. Uh, Tyler, I'll go to you first on this one. What did you think about that Ebba Katie selection for the Falcons? I really like the upside. Um, obviously, he, he's still a little raw, even though he, he played at uh, Temple for, for a little while before transferring to Penn State. Penn State's just an athlete factory yeah. at this point. Yeah. They, they just keep producing hyper athletes that just are able to come in in the NFL and they can thrive just based on their athleticism. I think he's got a little bit of work to do as far as technique, but the guy can bend around the edge. He can win with his length. He, he's got a little bit of uh, nuance to his pass rushing. I think this is a really nice fit. Um, personally, I, I you really can't complain about it. They, they prioritize the pass rusher. They moved up a little bit to go get him. Um, obviously, it was probably the smart move because Boye Mafe went just two picks later uh, to the Seattle Seahawks. And they got their guy, and hopefully that uh, he can be um, really grow within that system and become a stalwart pass rusher for the Falcons. Yeah, and that was the interesting thing to me was I wasn't sure if they would value Boye over Ebikati. It seems they chose Ebikati, who I think is a little bit closer. You know, Boye has the the athletic ceiling that's like ridiculous. You know, obviously Ebikati eight point nine already is still an elite athlete, but you know, Mafe is like. 9.8 or 9.9 or something like that so it's you know a little bit more raw versus a little bit more ready and obviously the the upside's a little bit different but that was interesting to me that they went with Ebba Katie there because I know this is a a front office that really values athleticism so uh it's probably splitting hairs between the differences with those guys but it is interesting um Thor I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on the Ebba Katie pick as well Steel, he should have gone in the late first round uh you know the there was a, you know, we had heard from evaluators throughout the process, the top 10 to 10 to top 15 or whatever. It was a little bit less than you would expect qualitatively from the previous three, four years. What was stronger? Second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, right? Like, and starting at the top of the second round, I bet Ketty is a guy who probably in most classes would have gone late first round. It's just, he was stuck by circumstance. He was a victim of circumstance. It, he's caught in this edge rusher situation, sort of like Mafe, sort of like a couple, I mean, a job, all you know, different sort of lean into the circumstance, but those guys were all a victim of circumstance in a very, very deep edge rushing class it was both 
top heavy, but also just, you know, deep throughout. So, I mean, both those guys got, you know, all three of those guys I just mentioned, they got shoved down a little bit on the board. The Atlanta Falcons were a team that benefited from that. Yeah, yeah, I like to pick a lot, um, and I'm really excited. They desperately needed the pass rush help, I would say even more than the wide receiver help that they got in the first round. So uh, hopefully he'll be able to come in and make an impact early. Uh, Don, anything else you wanted to add on the Ebicady pick? Um, no, it's, it was a great pick and a huge position of need. The Falcons' pass rush was maybe their weakest position group last year. They had 18 sacks overall. Those who were 31st had 30 sacks. There were two players in the NFL who had more sacks individually than the Falcons did as an entire team. And, you know, Abby Katie is a guy who, you know, he'll get into the backfield, had eight for loss last year at State, nine and a half sacks. He's someone who's incredibly disruptive. And the Falcons, they really need someone who's incredibly disruptive because even they lost even their top pass rusher from last year, Dante Fowler, who wasn't really that great. But in comparison to everyone else, you know, he, he looked like a competent starter. So, <laughs> you know, the Falcons w- could not go into this season with with the pass rushing depth and starters that they had before the draft. And, yeah. you know, you feel a lot better about it now coming out of the draft. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They, they addressed it again later on day two. The next pick. One of the more, I guess, controversial picks in terms of where people had him valued. It's sort of all over the place with linebacker Troy Anderson out of Montana State. Uh, Some had him in the 50s where he went. Some had him more as like a a third rounder. Some had him even in the fourth round. So I'm interested to know where you guys fall on him. Uh, Thor, where did you have Troy Anderson and what do you think about the Falcons taking him uh, late in the second round? As far as where where he went, I I don't have any problems with that in terms of like the slot value or whatever. as far as an athlete, fabulous. I mean, like, what what can you nitpick about that? It's not just, like, the Raz that he turned in as a linebacker. It's not just the work he did in college at that position. It's also that you've seen him do multiple other things. You know, you saw him start at quarterback. You've seen him as a runner. You've seen him as all these different things. And you've seen the, the athleticism play at all those different positions. He, he He's a guy that, that hopefully for the Falcons, he's more of a – as opposed to a master of uh, what's the Aziz Ajilari not Ajilari, but <laughs> as, the, the, as opposed to being a master and none, he, he's, you know, the, the skill set will coalesce to be a star at one, but Aziz and sorry, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I'm a football guy. I'm always thinking, uh, you know, Ajilari, <laughs> Ajilari, his, yeah. his brother is coming out in the next class. So we're going to be yeah. talking about plenty, but yeah, I mean, like it, as far as he goes, like the athleticism plays at both it, you know, it's just, is he going to play up at linebacker once the instincts play up? You know, like I'm coming to you guys from Minneapolis last year, the Vikings, they took Chasserat in the the third round or whatever. And my question with him was with that guy was he has the athleticism. He has the game instincts. He has the football IQ. But at that time it was, he triggered a little bit late. You were wondering about the coverage, even though he had the athleticism for it, that stuff hasn't jumped up as much, you know? So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll see with Anderson if, if the instincts get there. But as far as the athletic profile, as far as the frame, he has everything you need. As far as the heart, he has everything you need for that position. I prefer him where they got, where the Falcons got him over, where the Vikings got Chester out at the time. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, how it turns out. But I, I, I didn't mind the, the, the Anderson pick at all. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I was, I was pretty high on him. Um, you know, that's sort of 
about where I expected him to go. You always have to draft guys of that athletic profile higher than the board says. Like, it's just always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Tyler, what do you think about the, the Troy Anderson pick? Where were you sort of on him before the draft process? As Thor kind of said, it's really hard to complain about it. I, I'm a little bit surprised that he went above Chad Muma, considering yeah, what yeah. kind of what kind of athlete Muma is and how technical he is at the position, along with being explosive. But Anderson has the potential to be in a way more explosive. Not only did he play quarterback um, for Montana State, but he was a first-team all-big sky as a sophomore. And that really speaks to what kind of player he was on the offensive side of the football. And, like, for me, as Thor references Chad Surratt, the biggest difference for me – between the two, Troy Anderson can shed a block. The second anybody gets their hands on Chaz Surratt, he goes down like a rag doll. It the the rep is done for him. So I I like that they're prioritizing an athlete that already is that is continuing to grow with the technical elements of the position because this is a team that's not ready to compete now. By the time we hit year three, where they're, they're the goal is to be competing by like the third year of Arthur Smith, you're gonna have Troy Anderson having been in the league for a year or two, and boom that's when you're really going to see the peak. And I like the long-term aspect of it. He's going to be able to get playing time early and often and learn on the fly without feeling a ton of pressure. I think this is a really, really nice pick for Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I really like the pick. I love the upside and, also where they are in their sort of trajectory, I think it makes a lot of sense to take a swing on a guy that could be the most athletic, maybe is the most athletic linebacker in the NFL um, and the ceiling that sort of entails. Uh, Adon, anything you would like to add on, on the Anderson pick as well? Uh, it definitely fills another need. Uh, the Falcons definitely needed a linebacker after Foya Lewican left and you know we're expecting Deion Jones to not be on the team after this upcoming season. I was a little surprised. I thought that this would have been a prime spot for Nicobe Dean, but he fell and he kept falling down yeah. in, into the 80s. So, you know, that that was just an unexpected slide and the Falcons obviously weren't comfortable enough with the medicals. But now Troy Anderson, I think he had the highest RAS score of all time for a linebacker, yeah. uh, a full-on 10. And... Yeah, this is this is one of those picks. Like uh, like Tyler says, it's it's not a win now pick, but the Falcons aren't really in a win now position this upcoming season. So, you know, it, it this will be a testament to just how much, or excuse me, this will be a perfect case study to just how much the Falcons coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball can coach someone up because Troy Anderson is is straight up like a ball of clay. Like you you will possibly be able to coach this this guy up into into a really really high level player and you know i'm looking forward to seeing what what dean pease and uh and his team of coaches will will do with anderson and you know this is a guy who can do a whole bunch of stuff you know he's not relegated to just one part of the field to just one singular position this may be even be someone who in the future we see on some offensive gadget plays possibly and he'll he'll make an immediate impact on special teams from day one too yeah yeah i agree his special teams upside is also really special we'll see we'll see how long he plays special teams and if he if he reaches his ceiling as a as a linebacker then he's hopefully probably not, not gonna long even... <laughs> hopefully yeah, exactly. not long as a second rounder but he should yeah. make an impact in year yeah one exactly year one for sure he could be a true special teams demon um next pick one of the ones that I think is most interesting for this team, Desmond Ritter going to the Falcons in the early third round, uh, way later than I think most sort of thought, even those that were that were lower on him. Um, 
so I'm interested. I know Thor has to leave in just a little bit, but Thor, I wanted to get your thoughts on Ritter, and then if you have anything else you want to add about any of the other players in the class before you take off, go ahead and throw that in too. I mean, where they got him, how are you gonna argue with it? You know, I I probably would have taken I would have I would have taken Willis before yeah, him, yeah. you know, for mm-hmm. sure. But that being said, I comp him to Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota for a reason. He, he had the same athletic profile. He has the same sort of build. They even look the same. You know I mean? Like every single thing. It's just that they came out of a different collegiate system. Marcus Mariota played in that breakneck system for Chip Kelly and, and Helfrich. Uh, Ritter was, he was taught more of a risk aversion thing. You know, as far as the system, he came out with Luke Fickle. But I think in the NFL, you're going to get a very similar thing from both of them. The, the athleticism is more north to south within 10 yards. The, you're not going to get as much evasion from, from either of them in the open field. But, there, he, I mean, Ritter in the same way as Mariota, he's going to be able to steal yards in the NFL. Just perhaps not as pronounced a dual threat element as people thought Mariota had coming out. Um, but I, I think it's the same. Like I say, I think it's the same game in the NFL. Mariota, you had to pay the premium for him, you know, at number two or wherever he went in his ultimate class. Whereas with Desmond Ritter, he felt lower, I I think, because of context. But I think he is a much better value in the slot that that, that he came for than Marcus Mariota was, but very similar players and prospects. Yeah, yeah. And, you you know, you think of Mariota being a number two overall pick and Ritter being a third rounder. It's like, well, both these guys can be starting quarterbacks. You know, maybe Mariota was overdrafted, Ritter's underdrafted, but hopefully they they both turn into starters and Ritter hopefully can have a little more durability than Mariota. That's kind of been his thing. But any of the other uh, players that you wanted to touch on, Thor, before we let you go? I mean, you know, as far as the Falcons, I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was a really interesting weekend. You know, I mean, like Thursday night started out with a bang. We had the record amount of trades, record amount of movement. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of surprising guys in slots. You know, I mean, you toss out a whole bunch of them. You know, Cole Strange is one of them, but the, yeah. the Quay Walker, the, the, you know, a whole bunch of them. It, it was a really interesting weekend where this draft process, I thought teams held their cards more to the vest than, than in recent years in terms of with the media. And then they also were were more, you know, amongst themselves. They were way more active than we had seen in recent years, at least at the top of the board. So it's a fascinating draft. I think it was a deeper draft than we've seen in recent years. I think you're going to see more day three picks that turn to contributors. I think you're going to see more UDFAs turn to contributors than you're used to from regular years. So the fact that I saw the Falcons class that UDFA, they signed like a billion different players. So hopefully that turns out to be good for them. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, going beyond the first round, I think you're going to see more contributors than you usually do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, he is Thor Nystrom at Thor Koo on Twitter. Thor, anything else you want to plug before you take off? You can find me on Twitter at Thor KU, and you can find my work on NBC Sports Edge, as you can find Tyler's. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Thor, for, for spending uh, a little bit with good us. Yep. <laughs> Have a good Talk night. man. All right, Tyler, same question to you. We'll start with Desmond Ritter. I know you were a little bit lower on him than sort of, I mean, let's be honest. Everyone's all over the place on these guys. You and I were both huge fans of Malik Willis. I was higher on Ritter, but what do you think about Ritter coming to Atlanta, especially considering where he was drafted? Let's talk about this in two phases, because I think in a vacuum, this is a really good pick. Uh, the, the, The easy comparison is Marcus Mariota, and you see a lot of the same things on film. I worry about Desmond Ritter's accuracy because he had flashes of brilliance, but nothing was ever consistent and it never got consistent as throughout four years as a starter for the Bearcats. That was really concerning to me. The footwork is all over the place. The arm is fine. It felt like uh, 
Luke Fickle and that offensive staff really schemed up plays. You could see Alec Pierce balling or bailing him out a lot. And all those little nuances, like a third round value, fine by me. I have zero complaints about it because there is potential. He's got, he's one of the smartest players to come into this draft. And at the quarterback position, having intelligence, intelligence is the reason why Peyton Manning became a Hall of Famer. It wasn't because of his arm. It wasn't because of his athletic ability. He was so much smarter than everybody else that he was able to process things inherently quicker and make those throws because his arm strength was not helping him. Ritter has a much better arm and athletic profile, but he has real intelligence that's going to help him early and often and throughout the the entirety of his career. The reason why I don't like this pick is Malik Willis is stone for it. Malik Willis is my number three player in the class. He was Thor's number one. Passing over Malik Willis for Desmond Ritter, even though I get it, the connection with Mariota, how they're inherently similar players, and being able to develop him with Mariota on the roster is a very attractive piece. But Malik Willis has stuff that is rarer than rare, and to prioritize Ritter over that is honestly disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people assumed that the Falcons were, when they were trading up to 38 for Evacati, that they were going to get Malik Willis. I think that was what a lot of people thought, uh, myself the Vikings included. Vikings passed on Malik Willis yeah. six separate times. Yeah. Broke yeah. my heart, every one of them. Yeah. So, it, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that, I'm honestly hoping that the NFL is wrong about Malik Willis and that he, he ends up surprising because he's such a fun player. And if he hits his ceiling, that's just going to be an electric player to watch in the NFL. He'll be one of the most fun players every single week. Um, you know, and I also hope Desmond Ritter is good for the Falcons' sake. Um, I think obviously getting him in the third round, you know, the opportunity cost isn't huge, and you know, I think that we will see him this year in Atlanta. Um, and I'm hoping it works out. Certainly, uh, we got Corey Carter with the one dollar saying, "Hey, Russell Wilson went in the third round at pick 75. Ritter went in the third round at pick 74." So, you know, Corey, by that logic, yeah. Ritter should be one pick better, right? So- <laughs> you know, uh, with that logic, Kellen Mond should be in the Hall of Fame, but Kellen Mond's oh, probably never going to start a game in his life. Like, yeah. it, you, you, if you set the expectation that Desmond Ritter can be the next Russell Wilson, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Uh, just let the process play out. Don't have any expectations other than I hope he becomes a quality starter, and then you won't be just massively let down when he doesn't turn into a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, and and at this point, it's like, you know, it, if he just becomes a good backup with a third-round pick, it's like, oh, that's pretty good value then. And, you know, maybe you could flip him like the Patriots did Jimmy Garoppolo, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I like Desmond Ritter, but I agree. It's like, I'm disappointed that we didn't get to see Malik Willis in Atlanta I think that would have been fun, but, uh, you know, it, it's hard to argue with, with the value overall. It's just like, uh, there was, you know, uh, so close, so close. But, uh, Adnan, anything you wanted to add on the Ritter selection as well? I mean, I think every team that uh, walked away with the quarterback in this draft walked away with good value other than the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the Steelers were the only real losers in that uh, entire quarterback, you know, carousel that we've saw. And only because I think they massively misjudged uh, the value of the quarterbacks in reference to other teams. I, th- I think that they thought that they were going to start a quarterback run with Kenny Pickett at 20, and that quarterback <laughs> run just never happened because yeah. not a single quarterback went in the second round. I don't remember the last time we had one quarterback selected in the entirety of the first two rounds of the draft. I think the closest was the EJ Manuel draft where he was a first rounder, but then you know Gino was in the second, and there were, I think, a few more in the second round. But 
you know, Ritter is a guy where we were talking about before the draft of will the Falcons, you know, possibly prioritize moving up from the second round in back into the first round to get him because, you know, we were assuming that with the quarterback tax that there was no way he was going to be in their, be there in the second round. And we weren't expecting that of Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett either. Yeah. Yeah. I um, agree. This, this was their guy, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, they had the entire coaching staff uh, over there at, at his pro day. Uh, you know, he did a pretty good job at his pro day. And, you know, this is, uh, I think, I think we'll see, we'll see Ritter from day one this year, especially, well, not, not from week one, but from year one, especially if, uh, if the Falcons are as bad as I think that they'll be this upcoming <laughs> season, you know, why not, why not throw him out there and see what he's got and potentially even increase his value. The fact that he was a third round pick, this doesn't take away from the potential of getting a quarterback next year if you're in that position and, you know, you really fall in love with the Stroud or a Bryce Young. You know, we don't know what will happen between now and then or if there's another quarterback that just sets the world on fire like Joe Burrow did uh, at LSU. And just because you're not really going to be heartbroken over bringing in a first rounder to compete with your third round quarterback. You're not married to Ritter long term. But since Ritter was their guy, it will be nice to see what he's got this year. And if if he does end up being a productive starter, then that's a steal. That's an absolute steal to get a productive starter in the third round uh, in in the NFL. So, you know, uh, at best, he he becomes a very good starter. At worst, uh, you lost out on a third round pick, which has happened before with picks like Desmond Southward with a, Picks like um, Deidre and Sanat, but at least, at least this way, you're you're betting on the high upside of a starting quarterback as opposed to just a decent defensive piece who, who whom you you expected was never really going to be decent in, in terms of that southward pick because you know we were shaking our head <laughs> at, at that time and we're shaking yeah. our heads even more now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we had we had George come in and and Tyler for the record so you have the context George is one of our longest tenured viewers and he always he 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 correctly predicted Kyle Pitts and he was all in on Jordan Davis this year for the Falcons that obviously mm-hmm. didn't come true sadly um, Jordan I know Jordan Davis is like his guy um, but he he's uh, basically saying that you know. Mal- you know, he's concerned that Malik Willis couldn't start at Auburn and that Bo Nix beat him out and concerns about his game tape against some of the better teams they played. I know you're super high on Willis and, and uh, I'm just, you know, what what would you sort of say to those critiques of Willis? Coaches are dumb. <laughs> and I, I will say this, Bo Nix, as a true freshman, looked pretty good. There, there looked It looked like there was going to be a track record of him continuing to grow. I mean... In his first ever game against Oregon at Jerry World, he led a game-winning drive against Oregon and Justin Herbert. Like, there was a lot of positive that you could take from Bo Nix's freshman season and hope you could extrapolate and move forward. It didn't happen. It is what it is. And Malik Willis went to a team with Liberty who plays a backyard football offense with 10 UDFA players surrounding him, and he had to play hero ball a lot. When you have to play hero ball a lot, you can get whipped by really good teams. And uh, he also went into the carrier dome and beat Syracuse by 17 points. 
without throwing to one side of the field because Ifiatu Melifanu <laughs> was covering on that side. Didn't target him once. Beat him by 17. Like, this guy has that extra element. He has the ability. Imagine putting a guy that has to play hero ball all the time to win football games with a, one, a structured offense that gives you opportunities to make plays down the field and playing with actual NFL talent. You put him in those situations, and I'm expecting him to thrive, which is why I was incredibly high on him. And he went to the Senior Bowl in an incredibly structured environment because that was something that was a knock on him because of the style of offense and having to play so much hero ball. And he thrived. And he looked great. He looked like one of the best five players in Mobile. No, hands down. You take that, you extrapolate it across an offense. I was very, very impressed with him. And it doesn't concern me that he got beat out at um, at Auburn. Justin Fields got beat out at Georgia by <laughs> a limp noodle in Jake Fromm. It, college coaches are dumb. And they let great players leave all the time because they prioritize it. One that's not as great. It is what it is. I, I'm not reading into the fact that you didn't beat out Bonex. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. And George, we're not talking about the senior bowl game. We're talking about the practices. Um, Cause I mean, the senior bowl game is not really important. Uh, no well, one he really also ran it. for like a 50 yard <laughs> scramble in the senior bowl game. And then Chad Muma looked like a monster taking him down. That's true. Those were also some nice plays as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we'll see. I think it is a good situation for him to go into in Tennessee. He's not going to be forced onto the field, and it's a good offense for his talent. Um, But, yeah, uh, let's move on to the next pick, the final pick of day two. Uh, It was D'Angelo Malone, another senior bowl player. The Falcons took five senior bowl players uh, this year. Uh, D'Angelo Malone, the edge rusher from Western Kentucky, who famously – whooped trevor penning uh in the practices a couple times um that'll be great if the if yeah we can do that yeah if we could that's probably year. the the reason they drafted him because he was trevor penning's kryptonite somehow uh, despite looking like a little like a like a tiny man next to uh trevor penning but tyler what do you think about the d'angelo malone pick for the falcons seems like the falcons are going in a more speed direction with the, the abacady and the malone picks here I really like D'Angelo Malone. Uh, tall, lanky, great production at Western Kentucky. I believe 34 sacks uh, throughout his career. Um, he's got the ability to bend around the edge. And I love, love, love that. Yeah, He's got burst athleticism. He can win with power, as you mentioned, the Trevor Penning rep. Penning needs to figure out how to, one, plant, and two, <laughs> get his hands at, at the defender. My guy Sanders is doing it to him too. Yeah. And like, I like uh, Malone quite a bit. I think this is a great value. You get two hyper athletic, high upside pass rushers in in round two and round three. A big win for Atlanta. This is probably my favorite pick of the draft for the Falcons. Yeah. I know a lot of people are super high on Malone. I know a lot of people haven't necessarily seen him also at Western Kentucky, you know, not necessarily somebody, uh, a school that a lot of like casual fans will watch, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a desperately need. Oh, go ahead. Are you saying people don't watch the Hilltoppers? 
I mean, they should have last year, right? They had Bailey Zappi and D'Angelo Malone and some other NFL players. So, you know, last year was the year to watch the Hilltopper football program. But um, Ooh, yeah. I, I love Bailey Zappi. <laughs> I'm excited for him to beat out Mac Jones for the starting job in training camp. <laughs> uh, I'm only half memeing, but like... Why draft Mac Jones round one when you can have Bailey Zappi in round four? I mean, why? What is it like? What's the point? I I agree. You know, just Bailey Zappi to God uh, will be taking over soon. Uh, you can go put money on that, guys. According to Tyler, no, this is not financial advice. Okay, this is not financial no, advice. Um, yeah. No, no, <laughs> don't really do no. that, guys. Um, but yeah, I, I like the Malone pick too. Adna, what do you think about uh, Malone and the Falcons adding another pass rusher on day two? Oh, I was right. I'm right there with you, Tyler. This is my favorite pick of the of the draft for the Falcons, D'Angelo Malone. This is a guy that has a chance to make an impact as a pass rusher from day one uh, in Atlanta. He has he has mouth watering tools. Um, uh, he's going to be able to to beat you uh, off the speed rush, and you know he's someone where uh, obviously we were very excited about his performance against Painting, considering the fact that the Saints went and got Trevor Painting at pick nineteen, which you know I. I don't know. I, I feel like they were galaxy braining that one a little bit, um, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. I uh, I think that Malone is a guy where the Falcons will put him in a position to just go out there and go after the quarterback. Um, I don't think he'll be in in many base packages where he'll have to meet up against the against the run and stop the run. I think he'll be out there on every single third down this season. And I think that Dean Pease will put him in a position to thrive where, you know, you, you just uh, put him in, in a spot where all he has to focus on is pinning his ears back and going after the quarterback. Um, and, you know, I think that, that the Falcons with the picks of Malone and Ebby Katie will definitely have more than 18 sacks this year. Yeah, I hope so. For God's sake, they better have more sex than that. Uh, it's going to be a long season otherwise. Uh, getting into these day three picks, less than expected because they traded away the fourth rounder to go get Arnold Ebicady. Um, The first was their fifth rounder, a running back, the first running back pick of the Arthur Smith regime. Tyler Algier from BYU, a big physical style of running back. Tyler, what do you think about Algier coming to the Falcons, who way who uh, cut Mike Davis after the draft as a result of this pick? What do you think about Algier joining the Falcons' offense? I'm a little disappointed Thor's not here because <laughs> I would have loved to have a conversation <laughs> yeah. about this. I like Algier quite a bit more than he does, and what Algier brings to this is he he is a good one cut zone system style of back. He is a little bigger. His burst quite isn't all the way there. And that he has good enough speed once he gets all the way going, but he's not going to really break away from people. He's going to burst through contact. He's great in the passing game, both as a blocker and as a receiver. I think this is a really nice value selection for the Atlanta Falcons at the running back position where they need depth. And I think he can be a, a starter uh, at even potentially as a rookie, but I don't know if he's ever going to be able to take that next level, which a lot of backs in this system can take that next level with low capital. You think of Elijah Mitchell. You think of all the running backs that Mike Shanahan dug out of obscurity <laughs> and uh, got them to a thousand yards rushing. Mike Anderson, Orlando Gary. He got Terrell Davis in the hall of fame as a sixth round pick. Like you can do a lot with Algier. I don't think there was really anybody better on the board 
the ultimate pick that they could have made if they would have kept that fourth rounder is Pierre Strong Jr. from South Dakota yeah. State. I love him. Yeah. And I thought I think he can be like a top 10 net back in the National Football League if he's in the right system, which the wide zone, perfect system for him. Uh, but really good value in round five. Uh, I have zero complaints about Algier. Yeah, yeah. It fills a big need. You know, the, the Falcons moved on from Mike Davis, who didn't have as much success uh, at, at running back as was expected last year when he was signed to sort of be the, the starter. Coral Patterson really overshadowed him, and maybe, you know, that's not fair to Mike Davis because Patterson outshined basically all the running backs that were signed last year um, across the league. But, yeah, I think Algier's in line for a big role as the early down guy. They can they can leave it leave the high leverage carries to, to Patterson. He doesn't have to, you know, take the grunt carries anymore. He can stay fresh while Algier grinds out those yards and, and blasts people. Uh, and I think the Falcons are going to need that because they are going to try to run the ball more. They need to do it more successfully, uh, but we'll see if Algier can help them do that. Uh, Adna, what do you think about the the addition of Algier to Atlanta's offense? Well, like you said, I think he'll be able to eat a lot of those junk carries uh, where, you know, you need someone. He has the size. He has the physicality uh, to not really break down after having a lot of those carries the way that we kind of saw Cordero Patterson break down a little bit toward the end of last season, just from, from all of the overworking. And part of that was because Mike Davis wasn't very effective. And, you know, as a result of this pick, a direct result is that uh, Davis was cut. The Falcons saved some cap space. Uh, I feel like that was a move that we were expecting a lot sooner, but uh, you know, I, I understand waiting for the draft and waiting to see for sure that you'll have the guy. Um, Algier, I think, I think could be this team's, you know, starter on paper this coming year uh, at the running back position with Cordero Patterson, obviously getting those high leverage touches and Cordero Patterson. Now you can sort of move him out wide a little bit more and move him into positions, get, get a bit more creative with him just because last year we were watching it because the running game outside of Patterson was so ineffective. You kind of had to relegate him to just the backfield and to giving him those touches just to, to get something going in the running attack. And hopefully with Algier and with Damian Williams this year, it'll be a bit more effective, especially at around that goal line uh, where I don't remember the last time the Falcons had a physical bruiser who you could just hand the ball off to near the goal line and have him go get you seven points. Devontae Freeman, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. back during his heyday. Obviously, the, the popular comparison is Michael Turner way back in the day. I don't think Algier will be that good. Turner was... Uh, yeah, yeah, special you know, here in Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this will be... Uh, I, I, love, I love the idea of, how, of having Algier in, in a committee-type role with the Falcons. And the fact that he's a good pass blocker is massive because... You know, you can't get on the field as a young running back if you can't protect protect the passer. That's 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 rule number one. And you know, he he's he has he has the potential to be a pretty complete back overall, even if his speed isn't all completely there. Um, definitely, definitely getting the Falcons a, a lot more physical, especially around the goal line. Yeah, yeah. The thing, and Tyler touched on it. You know, he's a one cut and go back. The short area quickness and explosiveness is is where Algier makes his money. Uh, the long speed, like you said, pretty average. I mean, it's not bad for six, but it, it's it's fairly average for an NFL running back. It's just that burst. And 
when he gets into the open field, he could just he just gets those chunks so quick. Um, and he's hard to tackle. You know, he does he he has a, he had a ton of missed tackles in college, uh, forced missed tackles. You know, yards after contact were very good. So, uh, big fan of Algier. I, I'm I'm hopeful that he'll he'll have a big role. We haven't seen really how this regime uses their rookie running backs. Under Dan Quinn, the Falcons were famously sort of gun shy with their rookie running backs. They didn't really give them a lot of opportunities. You know, Ito Smith, Quadri Olison. These guys didn't really get much opportunity under the past regime. We'll see if Arthur Smith is willing to give these rookies a lot more work uh, now that he's in charge. And they sort of have to, and you sort of think they will, uh, considering they cut Mike Davis. So they they, probably, they must have some sort of role and vision for Algier here. Um, two more picks to go. Both sixth rounders here. Uh, the first was an offensive line pick and a dog. So I know Falcons, you know, Falcons and Georgia fans were sort of, you know, relieved to finally get a dog in here. I think it had been like 10 years or something since Akeem Dent. So um, Justin Schaefer from Georgia, the guard. I know he was not necessarily the one people thought would get drafted first. You know, a lot of people were bigger fans of Jamari Salyer, my, myself as well. Um, but uh, Tyler, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Justin Schaefer and possibly why he was drafted uh, significantly ahead of, of Salyer in the draft. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Um, I don't know a ton about Schaefer. I do know he's just, he's kind of just a solid guy. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's not, he's not going to be overly explosive. He's not going to be overly like powerful or technical. He's just going to be a good football player. And to get a guy who can have a little bit of versatility at the back end around six, I think is a really good call. Um, just just because I like to stir things up, I do want to say, Kevin, uh, go Gators. Um, <laughs> just and I know that'll make everybody, uh, all the Falcons fans, yeah, very happy. Yeah. All the Georgia fans, yeah, they're gonna be real real salty. Yet that that's that's fair. We got our asses whipped this year. <laughs> yeah, well, Georgia was just absurd. So you know, what do you do? What do you do against that? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, nothing for it. So, yeah, I, I agree. Like, Justin Schaefer, you, you like the offensive line competition, but, um, you know, considering they had dumped two picks into the offensive line, interior offensive line last year with Jalen Mayfield and Drew Dahlman, I was sort of, I was sort of expecting that they, they wouldn't add anyone just because they already had those resources invested. And it seems like they were sort of content to let Mayfield and Hennessy and Dahlman sort of duke it out. I do like that they added the competition, um, you know, we'll see if he, if he can make any noise. He, he was a very good run blocker. That was sort of his strength. Um, the pass protection sort of spotty and, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but I, he did play left guard. So you'd figure, you'd figure that he's going to be competing with Mayfield for that left guard spot. And we'll see if he can make any noise. Uh, Adnan as, as our resident, you know, Georgia connoisseur, uh, what, what do you think about, uh, Justin Schaefer to the Falcons? I was also <laughs> surprised that this wasn't Salyer. Yeah. To be honest with you, yeah. uh, I feel like that they were, I feel like that they overprioritized the uh, the physicality and the mean streak a little bit with this pick, um, because that's that's one of the things that Schaefer was known for. You know, he has those very heavy hands. He's he's very very aggressive. You know, he's very nasty out there, which are synonyms that uh, you really, which are traits that you really like hearing for your offensive lineman, but none of that really will matter if he isn't, you know, decent at the position. And, you know, it's, it's a sixth round pick. Um, you know, he's someone that has had trouble with his footwork. He'll definitely need to, to focus on that, work on that a little bit. Um, but given the fact that 
Jalen Mayfield was so bad for the team last year. If he comes out of the gates struggling like that again this season, or if the Falcons don't prioritize, you know, signing a guard uh, in any free agent period before the season, which, you know, now they have some cap space to do so if they, if they want to add com- competition to that, Schaefer could possibly even get his, his chance at the left guard position. He only played left guard. I think that's, he'll only exclusively be be playing that position in the NFL. He doesn't have the versatility to move around any, but you know, this was, this was a bit questionable in my opinion, given who was on the board, but uh, you know, hopefully you're hoping that, that he figures out the footwork and the balance a little bit and, uh, that he figures it out just because it's it's always a great trait to have someone that aggressive along the interior of of your offensive line, especially given the fact that the Falcons have been a team that's been bullied, you know, for years now, uh, just because they've been way too finesse. Um, and I, I feel like feel like they they overprioritized it a little bit, but but of course we're we're rooting for him, and you know, definitely double rooting for him given the fact that he was a dog as well. Yeah, I know the dog. The dogs fans are are very excited about Schaefer just to get a dog in here. Um, got to fill the quota. Got to fill, gotta that fill the quota. quota. Got to fill the quota. So, um, speaking of filling the quotas, you know, we joked that the Falcons needed to add two dogs in this class to to you know make up for the fact that they hadn't taken any in like a decade. They did add another Georgia player, probably not the one that anyone was expecting, and tight end John Fitzpatrick. Uh, not a player I had watched. I I watched a little bit of Georgia tape. After the selection, um, blocking tight end with big with with size, which seems to be an emphasis point for this offense. Six seven two sixty, good blocker, good hands. You know, I don't know that the athleticism is anything more than average, but um, you know, with Arthur Smith running so much twelve personnel, you you have to think that that's a a, a pick that you know hopefully is going to replace Lee Smith in terms of his block, blocking prowess. Tyler, you have any John Fitzpatrick takes or, or just in general, the Falcons adding a big tight end. How, what do you feel, think about that? Adding a big tight end in an Arthur Smith offense is always a good thing. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. I really, I didn't get a chance to watch Fitzpatrick at all, <laughs> yeah. but if you're getting a big blocking tight end that it appears that he does have a little bit of receiving acumen, that that's always a benefit because then, then you can do some leak stuff. You can get some screens going with him. And then you you can get the defense thinking rather and that rather than just re- reacting on initial view, like those little nuances can be good. It's always good to have tight ends in that system, and now you have a really good um, uh, running mate, I guess you could say, for Kyle Pitts. Where there, it's the yin yang theory. You want to have different players in your tight end room. You want to build a, a basketball team in your wide receiver room. I like the idea of this pick. Hopefully, Fitzpatrick fans out. Yeah, yeah, and with the the position was really thinning out actually heading into the sixth round. A lot of tight ends went on day two and early on day three. So the Falcons taking a tight end that wasn't necessarily on a lot of people's boards. You know, certainly I didn't watch him. Um, doesn't surprise me considering how thin the position was going to be in in undrafted free agency. So them sort of securing their guy, it makes sense to me. Um, Adnan, you might know a little bit more about Fitzpatrick than we do, considering you watched a lot of Georgia. What do you think about that addition? Uh, I think that this was purely a Lee Smith uh, replacement. I think if Lee Smith had not retired after the end of last season, you know, the Falcons would have obviously gone elsewhere at this point. But yeah, Fitzpatrick, you can tell that Arthur Smith prioritizes that third string uh, blocks blocking specialist tight end who will carve out, you know, holes in the run game and, you 
you know, who, who also you, you can leak out a little bit, uh, especially around the goal line area. They spent a seventh round pick uh, in exchange for Lee Smith last year from Buffalo. And now they spent their last pick, which was, uh, you know, a late sixth round pick, pick on Fitzpatrick uh, this year. I, you know, this was, you know, a bit of a surprise to me when it happened, but, you know, looking, looking at the history with Arthur Smith and, uh, and his teams and what happened last year, we shouldn't be too surprised that the pick happened. Uh, Fitzpatrick, I think he only had 80 something yards last year. He had one career touchdown in uh, in his time at, at Georgia, but he's going to be someone who's going to be out there probably on every single goal line package where it's you know first and goal second and goal where uh they're obvious run down situations probably on fourth and shorts as well someone who whom you can absolutely leak out and who you can throw a jump ball to just because he's so huge and you know it never it never hurts having some somebody like that on your team uh another guy who's also incredibly incredibly aggressive uh i feel like like I said, they really made an emphasis to, you know, hit home on that aggression to really change the identity of this team. Uh, and I mean, you're talking about potentially having a lineup out there with uh, Auden Tate, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, John Fitzpatrick, and in goal line packages where, you know, these guys are physical mismatches against what the defense can throw out there because you can probably cover one of these guys, you know. Uh, with a, with a very tall uh, DB, a linebacker, but you probably won't be able to, to out height four or five of them uh, all at the same time. So it's definitely going to be a, a really good opportunity. I, I'm expecting the Falcons to be much much better uh, at converting goal to go situations into seven points as opposed to only settling for field goals the way that we've grown way, way too accustomed to over the past few years. So, you know, hopefully we don't see as much young way Koo in the red zone this year. <laughs> yes. As much as we all love young way Koo, uh, I would hope that we get more red zone touchdowns because how often they get to the red zone might be the, I'm hoping that, you know, how yeah. often they actually get down there will be the issue, but when they do, they could convert it. That that's what I'm hoping for. At least well, in terms we of we may progress. see a lot more <laughs> young way Koo. Uh, high 40, 50 yard <laughs> yeah, attempts this yeah. year. So, you know, but, draft Young Way Kuhn fantasy, folks, is what Adon's trying to say here. But uh, get those, always get those draft kicks. Young yeah, of course you always should. He's a very yeah. good kicker. Yeah, draftable kicker for sure. Um, all right. Well, Tyler, we appreciate you hanging out with us and going through this class. Any final sort of overall thoughts on the Falcons draft class, how you think they did? Do you think they got you know, better. I don't think any of us think they're like a competitor now or anything like that, but what do you think uh, about the class as a whole? I gave this great, uh, this uh, draft class an A minus in my article for NBC sports edge. I really liked how they attacked it. They got value. Um, I still getting Ritter over Willis is what kind of docked it down that little bit for me, but you take a quarterback in round three that you think can potentially be a starter. If he ends up doing that. It's an absolute home run. Like I really like what they did and they're, they're approaching it where they know they don't have to win. Now they're trying to really build this roster out. And with the 40 million plus in dead cap that they have currently, you're going to have to expect a lot of these guys to play meaningful snaps early. And that's going to help in that long-term growth. I really like how they attack the draft. Could I, did I prefer other players? Sure. But that's semantics at that point. They didn't get anybody that was an absurdly poor value and, to me, that that's a massive win. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's sort of there's always going to be like, oh, I would have had you know X player a little bit higher, or Y player a little bit higher. It's that's just sort of the nature of drafting. We don't have the same boards as these teams, but were they good players? Were they worthy of the picks? That's sort of where we're at. And I agree with you. It's it's a good, very good draft. You know, is it perfect? You know, we'll see. If Ritter becomes a franchise quarterback, then it's an A plus. But if he does it, you know, it's still a good draft. It was worth the shot. Um, Tyler, we really appreciate you hanging out with us tonight, going through the whole class. Obviously, we'll, I'm sure we'll have you on more this offseason as we get into more stuff. Uh, we're going to go into some Falcons contract and salary cap stuff, so we're not going to force you to deliver any takes on that. Uh, but before you go, anything else you want to plug? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter, at TheRealForno. I am working on a series for the Vikings Wire uh, under my Skull Search umbrella where I'm breaking down everybody in the Vikings draft class. And right now I'm working on a piece about Andrew Booth Jr., uh, who I'm still amazed that was available at 42. Uh, and then um, you can also find my work at NBC Sports Edge. I had a lot of pieces coming out pre-draft and the weekend of the draft. Um, obviously, it's a little revisionist, including my grades piece that dropped on Sunday. So you can go ahead and check those out. And yeah, bada bing. Absolutely, guys. Oh, he is Tyler. Oh, Tyler oh, I, am wondering, ahead, yeah. I was wondering in real time during the draft, what did you think of the Vikings trade back? Like the just the overall tr- move in the first round, I think they could have gotten a little bit more value, especially when you consider both the Jimmy Johnson and Rich Hill charts. But if you look at ones that are more production based and with an- analytical mindsets, the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart, PFF, as far as war, um, both of them had the Vikings winning uh, pretty easily. Um, I I don't like giving up forty six yeah. to then get sixty six. That is a sticking point for me, but honestly, it's semantics. They were able to flip those picks and get good players early. Um, I was overall fine with the trades. I did like the Quasi Dofomensa had no problem uh, packaging picks to go back up, something that Rick Spielman only did in extreme scenarios. So uh, he was totally willing to play the market, understanding where guys were going to come off the board. Got Andrew Booth at a value because if he tests well, they probably take him at 12. He didn't get to test it all because of the sports hernia. They got him at 42. Massive win. Um, overall, I'm fine with it, but uh, I'm interested to see how Quasi prioritizes draft process moving forward. This year, it was power five schools, all 10 picks, power five, and 10-yard splits with, I believe, eight of them having 90th percentile or higher 10-yard splits. So I'm very intrigued to see how that continues to progress. Yeah, yeah, that we're we're both sort of getting getting to know our new regimes and and their tendencies. You know, with the Falcons, it seems like Senior Bowl and overall RAS scores are high on their list of priorities. So, uh, I know you're gonna enjoy trying to decipher what uh, your new GM is doing as well. But guys, oh, yeah. he is Tyler Fornis at the Real Forno. Terrific work over at NBC Sports Edge, at the Daily Norseman, and at the Vikings Wire. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you next time. Gentlemen, thank you. Have a good rest of your night. Yep. Have okay. a good night, man. All right, guys, Tyler Fornis, uh, met him at the Senior Bowl along with Thor, uh, had a lot of good times this offseason with the draft, and we're going to keep those good times rolling throughout the offseason as we get to more draft and undrafted coverage as well. But for now, we've got some more free agency stuff to talk about, Adnan, as the Falcons extended Grady Jarrett after much gnashing of teeth about, oh, does Grady want to be here? Is Grady going to be here long term? Does he even want to play for the Falcons? Whatever. Then they turn around and sign him to an extension that actually looks pretty good on paper. What's your thought 
on the Grady Jarrett extension, just the fact that they were able to get it done in the first place. I mean, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, first and foremost, because a pre-write that I wrote actually got to uh, got to be published because most of the pre-writes we write don't get published. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was incredibly excited about that. But yeah, no, this even if you go into a rebuilding phase, which you know, the Falcons right now this year are obviously rebuilding, you don't want to strip strip it down so bare to the point where you kind of lose your lose yourself. Because a lot of these teams, you know, you start to rebuild. The Jaguars are a prime example. Uh, they've been, well, they've been rebuilding for their entire franchise history, more or less. <laughs> um, but, you know, they had that great run in 2017. And then they tore every single thing down. And they found themselves completely lost, lost in the wilderness again, uh, which is, you know, where they are now trying to, trying to find themselves by, you know, looking and overpaying for for players and free agency like like guys like Christian Kirk for and ruining the wide receiver market but you can never have too many good players um and you know Grady Jarrett has been the best player on defense for the Falcons for a long time you know you could argue last year that maybe AJ Terrell was better but it's it's valuable to have to have multiple good players and Grady Jarrett He's signed in now through throughout what's essentially the rest of his prime. You know, he'll be 33 years old when he's when he's a free agent next. Um, you lowered the cap hit, his cap hit this year. It's it's pretty reasonable, manageable at 20.6 million, uh, then 20.3 million after that in the coming years. Um, if you want to move on from him. Uh, you can in a couple of years and save 12 million against the cap, but I, I don't think that they will. I think he's someone that uh, the team will want to keep around for a long time, especially given the fact that he was drafted by the team. Uh, his dad was uh, a Falcons legend himself, Jesse Tuggle. Um, and I mean, you know, the, this is just, this is just a really, really great signing. I, I like it on, on both ends. Uh, Grady Jarrett gets his security as well, uh, long term for three more years. Great for someone who was a fifth round pick uh, to play into his third contract and to really accumulate that generational wealth uh, for his entire family. And yeah, this was you know I'm I'm absolutely thrilled and I'm really really happy that we'll have Grady Jarrett here and hopefully we'll finally give Grady Jarrett some help uh, for the first <laughs> time in his career along yeah. the defensive line. Yeah, no kidding. And, um, you know, I thought it was a very good deal. Um, I think most pretty much around the NFL, everyone seems to be pretty surprised at how reasonable the deal is for the Falcons. You know, $17 million a year for Jared. Obviously, that's premium defensive tackle money, but um, it's only guaranteed through next year. Uh, so the Falcons, like, like Adnan said, they can get out of this deal in 2024 and save a lot of money. And in 2025, they can save basically all of his cap hits. Um, I'll just read off some of the details for you guys real quick. Uh, his 2022 cap hit was lowered to 12.9, roughly, you know, 12.93 million, uh, which is a $10.9 million savings. And I know we had a question from Corey about how they lowered it. And I will definitely get to that. I'll help explain that. Um, then over the next three years, it's about 20 point you know 20 and change so 20.6 million in 2023 20.3 million 2024 20.3 million 2025 
um, which I think, again, is is high for a defensive tackle. It's certainly fair for a defensive tackle of Grady Jarrett's stature, especially if he gets back to his 2020-2019 sort of level where he's putting up, you know, 30-plus pressures and 4-plus sacks of, along with all of his, you know, high run stuff rates and, su- and such. Um, so I think it's a great deal. Um, the Falcons have a lot of flexibility with it. They were able to lower his cap hit this year. The reason that they're able to do that is when you sign a new deal, you can convert you can you can convert some of it to his his base salary into signing bonus, which is basically like a restructure. Like you can kind of restructure the deal as a part of the extension. Um, so they basically converted almost all of Grady's uh, base salary into signing bonus, and then they spread that out now over four years of the contract instead of when he, you know, they couldn't restructure his contract this year because it was the last year of the deal. You can't restructure the last year of a deal because there's nowhere to there's nowhere to send the money. Um, with the extension, now you get all these extra years, and it allows you actually to spread it out just a little bit. So you know this, you know, fifteen. I think it was like fourteen million or so that they spread out over four years, you know, you're talking about three something million a year. This isn't a significant amount of money now. Um, so his 17 million a year sort of average value plus this, uh, you know, 3 million of signing bonus, it's only 20 million cap hit. And I feel like after, you know, this year, 2023, we'll probably see like four or five defensive tackles sign for more than Grady Jarrett next year. Um, just because the cap's going to explode and all this stuff, and we're going to look back on this deal as this huge bargain. Um, so I, I think it's it's a great deal from that financial perspective. Also, all the things Adnan touched on, like this is a, a cornerstone player on your defensive line, one of the only established good veterans you have, and to be able to keep him for a fair deal and to know that he's not trying to escape Atlanta which I think was was floated around, and who would blame him for wanting to go to a contender after being stuck on a losing Falcons team for the past you know four or five years? Um, the fact that he wants to be here, that he's signing the extension for a, I think a fair deal and not you know demanding an overpayment or anything like that. Um, I think it says a lot about Grady uh, that he's this is a I know people were clamoring year after year for Matt Ryan to sign a team friendly contract. It, you should never expect a player to do it but when you do you should give him props and I think Grady signed a team friendly deal here and I think he deserves props for it. he wants to be in Atlanta he wants to finish his career here he wants to play his prime years here um, and I hope the Falcons can reward him with some good teams here in the near future so he's not just stuck languishing still on a bad team um, but yeah Adna, what do you think about sort of the money involved in and how they were able to create cap space and sign him for a reasonable amount going forward no, I really like it. And you mentioned that when it's just a one-year thing, uh, there's nowhere to really put that money. That's why we see uh, now teams have started to take up the practice of putting in uh, in those void years on contracts. We saw it famously with Taysom Hill uh, with the Saints, uh, where they'll put in those, those fake years just to spread that money around to lower the cap hit right away. Obviously, that money will eventually have to be paid if you do cut him. Uh, I think the Falcons were going to do the exact same thing with Matt Ryan on his extension this year before the Deshaun Watson stuff happened. Um, But they never submitted that extension to the NFL. So, you know, we would have gotten a firsthand look at that. But no, it's incredibly, it's incredibly fair. It's an incredibly fair amount of money. Like you said, Uh, he could have really, 
uh, strong armed the Falcons a little bit and, you know, asked for as much money as possible. I don't think he got maximum value right now, just given, given how good he is, even though he did suffer a bit of a regression this past year. But, you know, I, I'm mostly, mostly chalking that up to, um, to just having uh, less help than, than usual than he's, he, he normally, he's had minimal help, you know, with the Falcons since, since arriving here, say for maybe that uh, 2017 season. But last year it was, it was especially no help along the defensive line. Um, you know, I think this, the team's second best defensive tackle you could make an argument was, was Anthony Rush. And yeah. he, he was what, an undrafted guy. Yeah. Um, there was no no pass rushing help. Teams could really just key in on Grady Jarrett every single time. Hopefully this year, uh, they, they probably will be keying on him this year as well, especially early on. But hopefully uh, Abby Cady and D'Angelo Malone can make an impact right away uh, and, you know, sort of punish teams for doing that. And even if they can't, then, you know, this should be a team where the defense is, is a lot better in, in 2023. Uh, because there's really nowhere to go but up for for this unit, and yeah. uh, Grady Jarrett, he'll be here in 2023. He'll be he'll be at the center of it, and just the fact that he, like I mentioned, he signed in through his age 32 season. That's that's toward the tail end uh, of of a player's prime. So I think he'll be a high level performer with this team throughout his entire contract, and I think I think he'll be on the team throughout his entire contract as well. Uh, and someone who, you know, if you need the cap space in 2024 and he's still, uh, he's still like playing, playing very well, which I think he will, you could potentially restructure the contract in 2024. If you, if you need the cap space, then we won't, Falcons won't need it next year. They'll have so much cap space next Mm -hmm. season, but you know, that that's, that's certainly an option as well. You could even give them that fake extension with those void years that I, that I just talked about. Uh, after that so it's 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 a lot you, you can do a lot of gymnastics with the cap with, with any contract um, but it, it's especially a, a lot a lot more reasonable and a lot more helpful when the player in question uh, is very very good and is signed in on a deal that's not uh, that doesn't really break the bank yeah yeah I agree um, I just People don't. I think a lot of casual fans don't understand that it's really hard to get production as a defensive tackle, as a pass rusher, when your edge play is just disastrously bad uh, from a pass rushing standpoint. Like, you have to collapse the pocket to to get your interior guys sacks. Like that's just how it works. Otherwise, guys are just going to escape the pocket every time, which is what happened to Jarrett. You know, we still saw Jarrett get double digit pressures, even though he only had one sack. Like he still had a lot of pressures. Um, he was still effective. He was also still a really good run defender. He had like 60 tackles at, for, for a defensive tackle, which is a lot. That's a lot of tackles for a defensive tackle. Um, very productive player. I think people get too hung up on the sacks. So if you can get that edge pressure, Grady Jarrett will go back to being a very good interior pass rusher as well. And obviously some of it probably had to do with the new scheme and he had to play a little bit of a different technique sometimes, but he's still going to get to play three tech a lot. He's still going to get to be a pass rusher a lot. Um, And the hope is that with a better supporting cast, the production will return. And clearly the Falcons think that it will. And so does he, if he's agreed to return on, you know, on this deal. So um, 
I really like the signing. I, I'm excited to have him back, and not just because I have the jersey and it's the new Grady Jarrett jersey. You know, I wanted to. I would have been upset if I only could wear it for one year. Okay, so that thank you Falcons for for you know protecting my jersey. Um, because I, I the other jersey I had was a Julio jersey, and like I I was able to wear that for like four or five years. So I should hopefully at least get four or five years out of Grady Jarrett too. You'll be able to wear the Julio jersey eventually after yeah, he retires. Yeah. That'll that'll be one of those jerseys where yeah, you know, evergreen, one of those old school ones. Yeah, it's like a yeah. Brady Patriots one. Yep, yep. Um, you know, a Peyton Manning. Indianapolis Colts. Well, like if you see someone wearing a Peyton Manning Colts jersey, you're you're not questioning it at all. <laughs> yeah, 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 guys. I know we had some tips come in. I will definitely get to those uh, here in just a second. I know Corey, you had some draft takes, and uh, George had another one, and then Jason Gaines has a couple. We'll get to those. I just wanted to get through the Grady extension real quick before we we took a break. But uh, I do see those guys. We will get to those here in just a second. Thank you so much for that. We do appreciate it. Um, also, take this time, like and subscribe if you're still here. We really appreciate those metrics. Really help us out. Uh, help the channel grow. We did hit 4,000 subscribers during the draft party, so big shout-out to everyone for helping the channel continue to grow. Uh, when I took this channel over back in, like, 20... I don't know, 17, 18... I don't th- I, we did the original draft party on here in 2017, and then we didn't do anything on YouTube for, like, another two years. So it's a little bit interesting, but um, ever since then, it's been a steady upward stream uh, of, of subscribers and viewers and everything. You know, I remember the first, the Facebook live days, uh, odd not where we would have like, you know, 10, 15 people for one of these shows. And oh, now yeah. we're, we're after the draft. We're, we're in May. There's nothing. I mean, there is something going on obviously with the, the Jared extension, but you know, hundred and I don't know, 80 people tuned in at one point, 150 still tuned in now, like an hour and 15 minutes in. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and the yeah. thing is that, uh, those 10, 15 on Facebook Live, they're, they're the same ones watching. They're still here. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are still here. So, you know, appreciate you, all of you guys uh, that have stuck with us. You know, I'm sorry about Facebook Live. Uh, you know, we saw the error of our ways and we got off there as soon as we could. Uh, we'll just we'll leave it at that. But uh, we just really appreciate you guys. So um, I did uh, want to reference that the Falcons now with this money, the $10.9 million they saved with this extension, now sitting at... 14 and a half roughly million in cap space, which is, you know, a lot, obviously um, that is enough to cover their draft class, which is about 5 million or give or take. Um, and it's enough to cover the final two contracts they need to pay for under the top 51 rule, which I won't get into, but it suffice to say they need one about 1.82 million to cover those last contracts. Um, they're also probably going to keep, you know, three to five million for emergency signings. They always do this. Teams pretty much always do this. Um, you take all that away, the team has somewhere between, you know, two and a half to four and a half million roughly in space. So they could potentially bring in a veteran or two, you know, one mid range veteran or a couple of depth guys. Um, and if they were to do that, Adnan, what, do you have any names in mind of guys you'd like them to go after at this point in the process? Uh, we've been talking about Nick Easton forever, right? Yeah, yeah. they uh, did visit with him. They just didn't officially sign him. Yeah, he's someone that uh, is from, you know, Terry Fontenot's days back in New Orleans. Um, and, you know, someone where you, you'd really like to stick it to the Saints a little bit by signing him. But I'm I'm really really worried about this left guard position. Um, I don't think that well Mayfield will get his opportunity, but uh, you know I don't think that he's the answer at that position. Um, I don't think that Drew Dahlman 
uh, is a guard uh, at, at the NFL level. I think he projects as a center. And, you know, Schaefer, I, I, I don't think he's ready for the NFL either. So uh, I'm, I'm looking at, at some interior offensive line help. And Easton's the first name that pops out, just given, given the connection to Fontenot and given the, the fact that the Falcons have already spoken to him. I think if he comes in, he'd be an immediate day one starter. And there are some guys where, you know, we're not even talking about uh, who could be potential trades. Uh, you know, one of Thomas Dimitrov's best moves of all time was making that move for Andy Levitri after that horrendous week three preseason game against the Dolphins, where the interior of the offensive line was just ravaged in that game. And he went out there and traded, I think, a fifth rounder and a sixth rounder for Levitri. And Levitri ended up helping the team get to the Super Bowl, ended up being a seamless fit with and Kyle Shanahan's offense. So even if the team doesn't make any signings this summer, don't rule out uh, possible moves uh, at the end of the cut period. And, you know, whether that be signing free agents or making a trade, uh, they did sign a, a guard last year after, after preseason. I forget his name, the guy from the Browns. Uh, oh, I yeah. forgot his, what name. Is his name. Yeah, I know you're talking about. I can't think of it either. Yeah, he recovered the fumble uh, yeah. in the game yeah, against yeah. the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Didn't really do much, you know. <laughs> he, well, he was he was just deaf, but yeah, yeah, that something like that is what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's where I would spend the money. Like I would go get a left guard. Um, I would get a starting left guard and not leave it up to Jalen Mayfield. If they want to win games, I feel like that's the best way to do so is to make sure that you're solidified. At left guard, I think I think Hennessy will be fine. Honestly, I think Hennessy is fine at center. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not... driving. The, yeah, yeah, thank you, Karen. It's Colby Gossett. Yeah, that's um, right, Gossett. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's no, it. I'm I'm driving the Hennessy train. Uh, I think that I think that Hennessy will be a very good long term starter at center. I I feel I feel like I'm beating the Matt Hennessy drum more than anyone else in in Falcons media. Uh, Hennessy's my guy. I, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, I, I think Hennessy's gonna be fine. So I'm not worried about that spot so much as left guard where like, look, Jalen Mayfield could get better. He will get better, you know, is better starter caliber. That's the big question. Um, And I think considering how many veterans out there, you're not going to have to break the bank for somebody like you could probably get a starter in here for two to three million. uh, And you'd still have money left over for a depth guy. Like to me, I would go out and, and Jason Gaines mentions this in his tip. With the two dollars, thank you, Jason. You know, Jason says he'd go sign J.C. Treader, Nick Easton, or Quentin Spain. Who, yes, correct, Jason. Quentin Spain spent time with Arthur Smith in Tennessee. I was surprised they didn't sign him last year, to be honest. Uh, to start a left guard over Mayfield, and Jason also mentions that Josh Harris's replacement at long snapper went on IR, which is true. They did sign another long snapper, and we thought we were going to get you know hashtag long snapper battle, and unfortunately, it looks like we're just going to get Liam Liam McCullough as our new long snapper, unless they sign somebody else. So hopefully that will be okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think all those names were good, Jason. You know, I think Nate Herbig, uh, who was just cu- cut by the uh, the Eagles, I think is another option. I would I would get Spain. That would be the guy that I would prioritize. He's a little bit older, but he's basically a one-year rental. He's someone that we know can start. He was like the only good interior player on the Bengals. Uh, had like a 70-plus PFF grade not going to break the bank. Um, that's who I'd go get. You know, Nick Easton gives you that center flexibility, but since the Falcons have Dolman, it's not as necessary to get another guy who can play center in here. 
I, uh, J.C. Treader's the same way. You know, I, I like J.C. Treader. He's, I think he's more of a pure center. He could probably play guard, certainly. But I, I would lean towards Quentin Spain or Nate Herbig. Um, Herbig played mostly right guard. He did start, I believe, six games at left guard either last year or the year before. So he has left guard experience, certainly. Um, but yeah, Spain has played left guard mo- most of his career. Rock solid, obviously knows the system. That's who I would go get. And then with the other, you know, if he can get in here at, for two to three million, you have another two to three million to play with. I mean, I'd go get an edge rusher, you know, like a Trey Flowers, uh, Melvin Ingram. If, you know, Melvin Ingram's going to be too expensive based on this UFA thing that the Chiefs put on him, that they're they're basically offering him like a four and a half million dollar contract. And the fact that he hasn't signed that yet means that he's looking for a bigger deal than that. So Ingram's probably not going to work, but like uh, Trey Flowers, maybe. Uh, Kyle Van Noy guys that have experience in a similar system to this, um, you know, flowers. Yeah, more maybe you get end, re- but, maybe yeah. get freaky and you go get RG three. Apparently, yeah, just you know, for just for the lulls, yeah. Uh, apparently, know. teams are teams are reaching out to him, which I think he's lying. About. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate RG three as a backup quarterback, certainly, but like you know, I I don't know that I prioritize that. We we have a backup quarterback. Uh, yeah. I I take we have Franks. Franks. I yeah. take Franks over RG three at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I agree with what you said, Jason. And I think I think guard is sort of where I would go with it. But we'll see. You know, I think another depth cornerback would be good. Like I would re-sign Fabian Moreau in a heartbeat if he'd come back for like a couple million. Um, we know Moreau was like a good solid number two corner. The Falcons can have him as their like first guy off the bench, basically, which I think would be awesome. Um, it would give them really deep, good secondary. So I would go get Fabian Moreau back for a couple million and sign a guard like Quentin Spain, and then have a much more well-rounded roster. You know, I, you know, maybe maybe they could get an edge instead of Fabian uh, or or corner, but you know, it just depends on who they want. They might also just sort of wait until camp and see what happens, and they could possibly save even more money. You know, Kendall Sheffield's still on the roster. He could save two and a half million if they cut him. I don't know um, why that move hasn't been made yet. The honest. only thing I could think of is they they love athletes, and Sheffield's like almost a ten, you know, point RAS sort of athlete, um, and they want to see him in camp. And they can cut him at any time during camp, you know, before week one, and get his his savings. So there's not necessarily a rush unless they need the money to sign someone immediately. But um, yeah, that that's where I'm at. They could still create a little bit more money if they wanted to. They could go sign a couple of cheaper free agents if they want to. Um, I know a lot of people have mentioned um, that they want the Falcons to sign another nose tackle. I I don't think it's going to happen. I, I understand wanting like another big defensive tackle, but what you need to understand is like only one nose tackle is going to be active on game day. Um, they will probably have another nose tackle on the practice squad, but they're not going to activate more than one for during the game. They just don't like, they're going to activate four to five down linemen um, at most, you know, usually four are going to be active. So it's, it's unlikely you're going to see two nose tackles active. It's very rare. Um, So don't, don't expect them to sign another nose tackle necessarily. They're going to roll with Anthony Rush. They may sign someone, like I said, to the practice squad. They brought in an undrafted guy, Timothy Horn, um, who's got some length. You know, we'll see if he can do if he can make any splash. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, I, 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 I wouldn't expect nose tackle to be a big priority for them, to be honest. Um, and Anthony Rush, I think, flashed. I, I think... Um, he was better than Tyler Davison 
And I, I think giving, you know, nose tackle is a position where you pull guys off the street and they can be good nose tackles for you. Now, they're not going to necessarily be Dantari Poe level pass rushing nose tackles, but in terms of run stuffing, Rush was fine. I, he had a sack. He had pressures. He had tackles for loss and like very few snaps. So this is a guy that um, I think deserves a shot. They brought him back. I think he'll be fine at nose tackle and we'll see, you know, what else happens there. But I don't think that's going to be a priority uh, for them to go get someone else at nose tackle. Um, yeah. Anything else on the Jared extension or, or free agents uh, non before we move on? No, not really. I think we touched on everything. Yeah, I think I think we covered it pretty well. I think we covered it pretty well. So, um, all right. Let me get to some of these questions. First, going back to Corey Carter. Uh, Corey Carter with the $5. Thank you, Corey, so much. He says, uh, how I would have drafted it if it was up to me and seeing, you know, where players ended up going. So the hindsight draft. Okay, so this is like the perfect draft in hindsight. Um, so we have Corey with Kyle Hamilton with the first pick. Malik Willis with the second pick. Uh, the third pick, Nicobe Dean. Uh, fourth pick, Perion Winfrey. Yeah, I can't believe he fell so far. That's ridiculous. Um, Kingsley Enigbari with pick 82. Jerome Ford at 114. So in your mock, they kept the uh, the, the fourth rounder. They didn't trade up. Uh, Matt Letzko, the offensive tackle, 151. Alec Lindstrom, the center at 190. And Justin Ross, the wide receiver from Clemson, uh, with the last pick. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate it. Uh, I think they didn't, they didn't get a wide receiver uh, until Justin Ross, who, as much as I like Justin Ross, um, took a while to even get signed as an undrafted free agent because, from what I've heard, teams worry that like one hit could could not only end his NFL career but put him in the hospital and stuff like that. So that's why he wasn't drafted and was you know signed late in the process. Um, so I, I'm pulling for Justin Ross. I hope he's okay, but. That's a guy who needs to be really careful um, with his NFL future, uh, considering his his uh, spinal injury. Um, and then Corey came in with a 2023 draft as well. You beat me to it. I haven't done a 2023 oh my draft. God. Yeah, but yeah, he said Bryce Young at the top, obviously the quarterback from Alabama. Uh, Broderick Jones, the tackle from Georgia with the second round pick. Tank Bigsby, the running back from Auburn. Uh, I like Tank. I, he certainly fits the scheme. Uh, with pick with the third rounder, uh, Sam Laporta, the tight end from Iowa, with the fourth rounder. Uh, yeah, I, I drafted Sam Laporta uh, early this season, like with one of my really early mocks before he went back to school. So I like Sam Laporta a lot. Miles um, Murphy, UNC defensive tackle, with the fifth uh, with the second fourth rounder. That's right, we have a second fourth rounder from the Julio Jones trade. Um, and uh, Bumper Poole, the linebacker from Arkansas, which did you just draft him for the name, Corey? You have to let me know because Bumper Poole is an amazing name. Uh, and then Dallas Turner, another linebacker from Alabama with the final pick. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with any of those picks. You know, we'll see if they need to draft a quarterback at the top. You know, hopefully Ritter pans out to where you're like, either you can trade out of that premium pick or you can take like Will Anderson um, and just really add like this, you know, elite edge one that you desperately need. So I would like that um, if they don't need to take a quarterback. But otherwise, if they do end up in the top two, uh, you know, it's probably either going to be a quarterback or Will Anderson. So I feel like you can't go wrong there. You know, whichever one you feel like is the bigger need, you go for it. Um, Let's see. Just two more questions here, guys, and then we'll wrap things up. First of all, George Costanza with the $3. Thank you, George. 
He says, I'm going to put a grand on the Eagles winning the NFC at plus 1700. So that would translate to 17K if you win. So, I mean, that's definitely oh you know, a big payout. Wait, it might even be more than that, right? No, it would be, no, be 17K. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously if you hit that, George, that'd be big money. So I always knew George was really rich. Yeah. He's putting <laughs> yeah. a thousand bucks on the Eagles. Yeah, he says he's certain that Philly made the best choice by taking Jordan Davis to pair with Fletcher Cox. When you can shut down the run with your four down linemen, you can force the QBs to throw into coverage and cover two. Yeah, that Eagles defense is starting to look nasty. I think once N'Kobe Dean gets in there too next year, that's going to be really nasty. Yeah. So, yeah. But do you really trust Jalen Hurts with a thousand bucks? Right. At least they have A.J. Brown now, so... There is that, but and the NFC is also kind of weak, you know, so we'll, it wouldn't, yeah, it, it wouldn't is. be, I think Eagles winning their division. I'm assuming the odds are nowhere near as good for them winning their division. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat the Cowboys for the division, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's, Hey, it's your money, George. This is not financial advice. You know, we're making that clear. We're not, we're not doing any financial advice on this here podcast, but uh, all right. Finally from Jason Gaines. Uh, another a final draft take here. He said, "I preferred I would have preferred a trade down in round one to accumulate more picks and then get Davis Jordan Davis. I think he would really helped out the front seven. Also, wish that we could have got the punt god to the Falcons. Uh, since we didn't get him, I would sign punter Michael Pilardi. He's a lefty as well. Yeah, Jason. I mean, um, I think if they had gotten a good enough offer, they may have considered trading down. But considering that if they really wanted Drake London, they knew they weren't going to get him after a trade down. You know, maybe they just weren't really willing to do they it. They definitely yeah. got offers. They said they got offers, but they said they, they never really considered any of them. Yeah, so they must not have been good enough. <laughs> yeah, that tells me that, yeah. Because yeah. it takes two to trade down. Like, obviously, yeah, I, yeah. I want to trade down all every draft. I would love to trade down in the first round. Yeah. Um, you know, save for a few. But um yeah it's if if there weren't good enough offers obviously nobody was trying to move up for a quarterback so that was off the board as we saw um and that I think that that really kind of took away from it I feel like if teams knew that the wide receiver run will be that epic then they they probably there probably would have been some better trade offers but you know that's hindsight and we're not really working with hindsight here yeah yeah exactly so um it's uh you can't go back, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the signing of a punter, I mean, it, it could happen. I think we'll we'll see what happens in in the preseason. They seem to like Dom Maggio. You know, I personally we we haven't really seen much of him because I think he got he got hurt last preseason. They, we didn't really get to see him kick. He ended up on IR. Then he sort of stuck around on the practice squad. He made his return, so they they must like him to some extent. Um, they didn't bring back Thomas Morstead, so they they either thought that. Maggio was good enough or they were planning to bring in competition they didn't get somebody in the draft um they did bring in a guy that I think is really intriguing um that's Seth Vernon from Portland State their punter former wide receiver uh 6'5 230 so we're bringing in more size in the punting unit as well but uh he's actually just a really good punter um I think he averaged 44.9 yards per punt this last season which I think would have been sixth in the NCAA um he, I think, uh, so, I mean, that's a really good punting average. Um, he's clearly got a cannon leg. Um, I think for his career, he averaged 44.6. So like, I mean, he, it wasn't just like he had one good year either. It was, it was consistent. So I like Seth Vernon. I think he's a, he's a tre- tremendous athlete with a lot of size that obviously helps on kick coverage and on teams and stuff like that. 
Um, so I, I actually, in my roster projection, which if you guys haven't seen it, you can check it out on the site. It's, it came, it went up yesterday. Um, my one UDFA I had making it at this point, you know, way too early was Seth Vernon, because again, we haven't seen much of Dom Maggio and I think Vernon's a really interesting punter. Um, so we'll see, you know, we'll see if he can, if he can make a name for himself and and make the roster here. But I I do like Vernon's upside. And if they don't find anything they like, there's going to be punters available at the end of camp for sure. Uh, because we saw three punters drafted. So like uh, Bradley Pinion from Tampa Bay, very good punter, obviously. Um, he's probably going to be released in favor of, you know, their, uh, what was it, Camarda, I think, went to the Bucks, uh, And there were two other punters drafted, too, in Ariza and Jordan Stout, who have veterans there as well. You know, Matt Hack in Buffalo. Um, so there will be punters available. Uh, much like last year, the Falcons can sort of just wait and then grab the guy they want, like Morstead. You know, they sort of just waited and pounced on him, got good production. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I don't think they need to, like, rush out and add a punter right now unless they feel really bad about the guys they have. But uh, the fact that they haven't done anything so far at punter leads me to believe that they're they're comfortable just sort of riding it out and seeing what shakes loose uh, at the end of the preseason. Um, or maybe they're just happy with who they have. So, um, all right, that's everything. Uh, again, guys, like and subscribe. Really appreciate that. Uh, not any final thoughts before we wrap up tonight? Uh, nope. Uh, go Falcons. Go Falcons. Uh, we're we're yeah. in the dead period, man. We're, yeah, I, yeah. We we're, did we're, get, like, we got some nugs this week. We got the Jarrett thing. If, I, if only they could have done the Jarrett next week. We could have, like, squeezed one more week yeah. of, like, quality content. Yeah, but. it's going gonna, it's gonna to get, like, it's going to get some, yeah. It's gonna get slow. Yeah, it's yeah, gonna get slow, guys. Really we're gonna we're gonna come up with cool things to talk about. Uh, we're gonna go. I think what we're gonna do this year is we're gonna do like little position group clusters, and we'll talk about the players on the roster and sort of our thoughts. Um, so you know, we'll probably do like quarterback, running back, and fullback one day, like one week, and you know, try to spread it out and get some content. We'll have little signings and things like that too. I think next week we're gonna have Eric back on the show and uh thor might be coming on again as well to talk about the undrafted guys he's currently doing the deep dive on all the team's undrafted classes um to to grade the undrafted classes because he's a madman so um you know he can give us some undrafted takes too potentially next week but we will uh we will be working on it we'll be giving you guys some content um and the uh, Falcoholic podcast feed is back up and running also so if you're someone who likes to listen to the podcast they will, they are going to be available on there again. Uh, we had some also some just OG podcasts uh, this week as well. I broke down the Falcons draft class with Will McFadden on Monday. Uh, the idea is going forward that hopefully like all the episodes will sort of be hybrids. Like there'll be a video version that I upload oh, and a Kevin, I know so, we're wrapping yeah. up, but I yeah. really need to run. So okay, uh, yeah, no problem, man, no problem, you guys. Yep. And yep, I will see you guys next week. All right, likely. see ya, Adnan. Thanks, man. All right, see ya. Man, Adnan just abandoning me at the last second. No, it's all good. It's all good, guys. Uh, we are wrapping up. So, yeah, really appreciate everyone for tuning in. Like I said, we'll have more content coming. Um, and, yeah, it's it's getting into the dead zone. Uh, we'll probably, you know, I'm going to be doing my best to to try to find a way to get down to training camp again. As far as I know, I will be able to cover all the days of training camp. So I think it's like, I don't know, eight, ten days or whatever it is. Um, probably be doing another fundraiser for that because, you know, I think it's doubtful that I'm going to have the trip covered by, you know, our, our overlords here. Um, so I'll let you guys know the details on that. Uh, you guys were super generous for the senior bowl. 
Um, and I, I don't want to like depend on that too much. Um, but I know you guys also want the takes. So, you know, the, the takes, the takes must flow and uh, I'll leave it up to you guys, uh, on that one. But, uh, again, I just really appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday for more content. Uh, hopefully there'll be more to talk about to rookie mini camp. It will be coming soon as well. Um, so guys, thank you so much. Like I said, like, and subscribe. Uh, you can check out our Patreon page if you want to support the show on a monthly basis. The link to that is patreon.com. So everyone who's stuck with us and supported us there as well. We will have a Q&A coming soon. Couldn't get the guests together this week. It just didn't work out. But it, it should be next week. Should be next week um, that we get the Q&A going. So I appreciate your patience on that, guys. Uh, and yeah, until then, again, guys, have a great night. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you next Wednesday, once again at 8 p.m on the Falcoholic Live. Until then, guys, have a great night.